With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome along to the WTF1 podcast Bahrain Race Review. Uh, One down. 22 to go will it be a max verstappen and red bull walkover can alonso even get a win with aston martin and who's got a lot of work to do all those questions and more answered over the course of the next hour or so my name is harry benjamin Uh, nice to see you first time here a long time listener Uh, alongside me though to give their views on the opening races of the opening race of the year uh, hannah atkinson and dre harrison um hannah Let's start with you, shall we? Verstappen and Red Bull seem to be in a league of their own, right? But thank God for Fernando Alonso (laughs) and Aston Martin. I mean, it genuinely looks like they've jumped Mercedes and Ferrari, or at least one Ferrari, in the pecking order. It's mental. Yeah, absolutely. And from testing going into practice, I was thinking it's too good to be true. There's no way the Aston Martins are actually this quick. But Turns out they are, and I'm very happy to see it. Um, they've pulled it out of the bag this year, and I'm just excited to see how they can develop throughout the season, whether they'll get closer to the Rebels or if they'll pull away a little bit or where they're going to be in the mix with the Ferraris and the Mercedes. I'm so intrigued to see, and I mean, what a race to kick off the season. Um, I really didn't expect to see Fernando on the podium, but I'm so glad that he was. He brought the excitement to the race yesterday, and yeah, I'm I can't wait. I really can't. It does get you all uh, excited, doesn't it? Especially when the lights went out. I had the smile on my face just watching it and just kind of cool to have F1 back, isn't it? It's been a long, long old winter. 100%. 100%. Dre, to to sort of big up Aston Martin even more, Alonso, you know, can usually perform no matter what the car is, or at least he'll be the number one driver for sure. But Lance Stroll, given all of the pains that he has had in the last week or so, kind of backs up that actually... Aston are genuinely quick and, and you know, Lance Stroll and Aston Martin could be a proper, along with Lonzo, a proper force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I'd argue it was, it was the story of the weekend. I mean, I think a lot of us deep down, especially after testing, expected Red Bull to be at the front of the field, maybe not by the margin it ended up being in the end. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but for me, no doubt, the story of the weekend was Aston Martin and specifically Fernando Alonso. I mean, even before the weekend started, it was the willy won't he with Lance Stroll, whether he was actually going to race or not uh, as well. So it, it really was the Aston Martin show. And I, I can only back up what Hannah was saying in the sense of they were re- they looked really good in testing and I am the sort of nerd that actually watches testing and seeing the times and seeing the patterns and seeing you know the the rough gauge on where people are at and where the field was at and you think Aston Martin looked really good here they looked like they could be in the mix of Mercedes and Ferrari and uh, you don't really want to believe it because you you think back to this time last year Aston Martin were woeful. They looked really bad. Like Vettel had missed the first two rounds of COVID. Lance Stroll was struggling. Hulkenberg had to come in at the 11th hour and wasn't anything to really write home about. I remember Australia when both cars crashed over the course of the weekend. It felt like the honeymoon of them going green had just kind of run out. 
and they got better as the year went on, but they only finished seventh overall last year, which was probably disappointing for Aston Martin, given how much they put into the brand, um, how much money they put into it all. And, you know, they had a big name driver in Seb and that didn't really work out. A couple of highlights of, you know, a podium here, one that was taken away post-race, but to, to have them genuinely running, maybe even as the second best team in the sport right now is startling it's an incredible turnaround um that yeah. dan fallows can design a car clearly um <laughs> well did you did you hear what um sergio perez said in the in the post-race press conference he said oh it's just nice to have a red bull one two three <laughs> considering <laughs> dan fallows coming over from red bull to aston martin and actually you mentioned australia as well last year dre i remember absolutely laying into aston martin because Vettel was crashing here there and everywhere uh, and it, it was his first race back after covid i think but i think i remember saying you know how could a team that has always become known team silverstone you know whatever guys it was always known for being the plucky underdog doing the most with the least budget and now you know i said they've got no excuse really how can they be languishing at the bat well i mean i'm being proven wrong here and it definitely does look like they've got this second best car we're all eating crow at the moment yeah (laughs) but how i mean that pass as well by alonso forget the team radio messages and, and bahrain you know it's difficult to pass at the best of times but Hannah, that move down the inside on Hamilton. I mean, mm-hmm. I've tried that move on the F1 game and I'm up it up. So I know how good Alonso is in that front. Yes, it was insane. It was so exciting to see. And it's just, it's so great seeing these amazing overtakes happen in the first race because I'm sure there's a ton of new fans that have started watching this season. I know like five off the top of my head, people in real life who are watching this race is their first proper race they're watching live and seeing those exciting moments is really what hooks people into the sport. So I feel like that's, that was so great. And it's so amazing also seeing Stroll do so well. And it really does make you feel like they are the second best car. I mean, we don't know for sure, but right now Stroll in P8, I mean, with his six, sorry, did he qualify P8 or no? Yeah. Yeah. Qualify P8 race P6. I mean, with his wrist. And then we found out his toe as well being and broken. And he pun- nearly punted his teammate off on that one. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> what is going on? And for that to happen to him and also have such a great result, they and also Alonso it being his first race with Aston Martin, I feel like he's still not 100% used to the car yet. And so both Stroll and Alonso having these things that maybe make them not at their 100% performance yet just makes me feel like they're only going to get better. Totally. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely spot on. But I mean, coming into the weekend, obviously, Dre on, on Stroll, Felipe Drogovic took part in testing, the test mm. driver, the Formula 2 champion. And ultimately, even after free, I think it was free practice one, maybe FP2, and we saw the replays of Lance Stroll really struggling to turn the wheel on, on his long run uh, uh, pace. Clearly, he's put that to bed. But as much as it was great to see Stroll have a good race and clearly recover, there was a part of me that really wanted to see Felipe Drogovic get a shot, <laughs> considering he's the F2 champion as well. You know, I, I, there's an inherent problem, I think, there that the F2 champion doesn't end up in Formula One straight away. But I mean, it would have been good to see Drogovic get a go, right? How Do you reckon he would have done better than Lance, considering he had all that time for testing? 
Not sure. I mean, I mean, Drogovic is a very talented driver. Make no mistake about it. Um, you don't dominate a Formula Two season like that without being pretty darn good at your craft. And as you said, he was the hot hand because he just done testing. The team seemingly were very impressed with his test. Um, and on the other end of the coin as well, Lance Stroll. You could make a feasible argument shouldn't have even raced this weekend. There was a strong amount of press saying that he initially failed his extraction test when he rolled up for the weekend. And for those who don't know what that is, that's getting out of the car in seven seconds and then being able to reattach your steering wheel within 15 in case you need to escape a trapped car or something along those lines. Allegedly, Stroll failed that first test, but he was given a second attempt and then passed on the second attempt. Now, if you have a serious accident you might not get a second chance. So I'm not sure whether Stroll should have been deemed fit or not as a result of that. So, I mean, that that is another one of those FIA rules that is a little bit up in the air, and you can probably debate with that one in the comments because, you know, it's it wasn't ideal. We saw Stroll struggle to, to get full lock on his, on, his, on his wheel at one point, and we even saw the Saturday footage of him having to be helped out of the car. Apparently, it was just to rest his wrist. Understandable, given he's already been medically cleared. So... You know, there's a lot of question marks about it. I would have loved to have seen how Felipe Drogovic gets on. And trust me, Harry, I know you commentate on these series. I could get into a rant about the junior ladder and how <laughs> and how and how and how busted it can be for 15 minutes, but I don't think the listeners and viewers want that at the moment. Um it, it's a shame that an F2 champ and a, a good one and you know didn't get a seat opportunity. I think we're in a bit of a golden era for younger talent coming through. I think we're a little bit bottlenecked. Um, when you look at the last few years, Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, George Russell, Pierre Gasly. Mick Schumacher has already been in and out in, in F1 in that time as well. Yuki Sonoda, a lot of people think he's on a hot seat. So, you know, it's it's hard. Mm. To, it's probably as hard as it's been in the modern era to get in um, to F1 as it is if a C opens up for you. So I'd have loved to have seen Dragovic have a go Maybe his time will come down the road. You know, if he's in that mix like Mick Schumacher is as a reserve at Mercedes, maybe something opens up for him there. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed, Felipe gets a shot at some point down the road. Just just to vindicate the, the, the junior system in general, you just hope it works out. But Yeah, yeah. well, you, you never know what 2024 might bring for Felipe. Uh, look at Oscar Piastri, you know, a year on the sidelines. And I think we can mm. have a whole argument about this uh, junior category thing. Because actually, you know, the point to add on to everything you've just said there, there are drivers getting younger and younger and they're having longer and longer careers than they ever had. You know, George Russell is going to be in the sport for another decade at the very least. So that's, Plus, you know, easy. that's yeah. a Mercedes seat that's not going anywhere or at least, you know, who knows where he ends up. But um, lots of things to, to dissect from there. Uh, if we move to, on to the front of the grid <laughs> and unsurprisingly, uh, it was a dominated weekend by Red Bull, certainly the race. Max Verstappen led lights to flag and never really looked back, did he? Perez, shaky start, but managed to get back in second. I thought he had a reasonably solid weekend, particularly only 10th and a bit off in qualifying, which is, is a true marker of how close he is to Verstappen. Uh, but Claire on Discord has asked the question that we all want the answer to be. Uh, absolutely not, Hannah. With a, a race that strong, is Max's third title inevitable? It's a great question. And I think that it probably is. 
you know, I, I do Don't think say that. that. No, I know. keep the optimism alive. Well, I mean, so I feel like Rebel may not have been as dominant as they hoped to have been going into the season. I mean, obviously it's, it was a one-two and I know that they led by a very, you 50 know. seconds, it, it's yeah. got to be longer. <laughs> no, no, I know, exactly. In terms of qualifying though, I feel like they were slightly closer to the pack than maybe they expected to be. And so going forward uh, for the qualifying sessions coming up throughout the season, maybe they might be on the second row sometimes or qualify fifth or third, which mm. might mean that in their races, they don't get that one-two that they they hoped for or Max to get that win since we're talking about his championship. So I think qualifying, I, I do think, you know, they're likely to get, you know, <laughs> be the quickest <laughs> win. And I think a third championship is probably likely, but I don't think it's as easy as we might think I, I know, know they had a one-two uh, yesterday, um, but I think it might be a one-off, perhaps. Not a one-off. It's going to happen. No, no, no. Okay, wait. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. But I don't think as much as we think. No, totally. I mean, Adre, you disagree with that. And just to pick up on what Hannah said, the qualifying was probably the most exciting part. You know, the whole grid covered by less than two seconds, which I don't think we've seen in a very, very long time. And it could be that qualifying really makes the difference when it comes to the race in, in the next few races. If if Verstappen and Perez have one bad lap and it loses them a couple of tenths or a few thousandths, you know, in Bahrain, that would have meant Leclerc and Sainz on the front row instead. Mm. Yeah, I mean... The scary part about that is that Red Bull openly admitted after Saturday that they had compromised the qualifying trim mm. for the race trim, and they still locked out the front row by several Excellent temps. Point. <laughs> um, it's it if you get the overall vibe. If I mean, if you, I mean, more cynical people might not believe what Red Bull are saying because team bosses drivers lie they cover stuff up it's a part of the game but every indication that i've read and seen suggests that red bull won that race while holding back and that is a terrifying thought for everybody else amongst the field i mean i heard we've been watched the race verstappen complained about downshifts they had to manage mm. that a little bit um they openly admitted they turned the power units down for the last 10 laps which you know verstappen already had a 10 second lead alonso was 35 seconds plus down the road. I mean, as much as everybody loved the Alonso comeback, and I, I did too, he still ended up 38 seconds off the win. That's still a, a chasm. It's half a lap around Bahrain almost. So it's, I think Red Bull have got more to give, which is an even more terrifying prospect. They didn't need to go hard Um, after the first stint was over. They had 10 seconds in hand. They were able to make their softs last as long as Ferrari was on the medium tire. I mean, sorry, the, the hard compound because the medium tire was apparently unraceable. Um, so every sign indicates to me that Red Bull have got at least half a second in hand. I want to lie to you viewers and say <laughs> that you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be close, it's gonna be ultra competitive. The the honest pundit in me can't get there. It's just it it feels like Red Bull are going to run this field over, and I think well, the fun is going to be in the midfield. I, I dread to say it, but that's what it feels like after the opening round. I, I mean, I have to agree. Like after I watched it, I thought this gives me very. 2011 2013 Sebastian Vettel dominating in a Red Bull kind of vibes mm -hmm. but I take a bit of hope a from qualifying b from uh looking at the development race which I'm hoping might prove a factor here because if you look at last year right McLaren 
Mm. Awful, woeful at the start of the season in Bahrain. But then by the end, they were battling for fourth and the constructors with Alpine, who also were very quick. They were sort of little and often with their development, right? Where the other teams were sort of big every now and then. So that could be something. And then to add another factor in, Red Bull have this penalty, of course, due to overspending the cost cap last year. Mm people wondering why it hasn't affected the car now. Well, they wouldn't have done. They've already had this car together before that came in place, right? But where it could affect is how much development they can do towards the end of the season. So that's my little bit of hope that I'm clinging on to, where they have to slightly hold back. Others might be able to catch up. Or do you think I am just absolutely deluding myself? Um, <laughs> I think, the, the like with most things in life... The, the, Are they going to yeah. win every race? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know George Russell was very quick to nail his flag to the mast on that one after the race and say, yeah, they, they think Red Bull will run the table, which... It's never uh, happened before, has it? No one, no, 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 no team's ever won every single race. I think the nearest we got was McLaren in the late 80s. I think they missed all but one. I think it was 15 out of 16. I know Merck's had a 19 out of 21 year. I want to say 2016. Probably, yeah. Someone in the YouTube comments will correct me if I'm wrong on this inevitably, but I think Merck's had a 19 out of 21 year in 2016. And that's the nearest we've gotten in the modern era. I had it down for 17. Um, we've done a few podcasts beforehand where I said, I think, you know, Red Bull winning maybe 15, 16 out of 23, I think is feasible. It, I'm actually tempted to go up on that number after watching this race. I, I had a feeling they were still going to be really good. I just didn't think they were going to be this good. And, and I think you make valid points, Harry, in that, yeah, there is mitigating circumstances. The cost cap will hit them for the lack of wind tunnel time compared to their rivals. Um, that will certainly play a hand in next year's car. Just one problem with that. If you remember last season, the Red Bull RB18, they stopped developing that car after the summer break. They, they shut it down after the summer break and they still won nine out of the last ten. After that break, only the one two that Merck's had in Brazil was the only race that Red Bull didn't win after the break, and they didn't develop after that. So, if Red Bull are so dominant that they can have maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty points in hand going into the break again this year, they could they could say, you know what, we're happy with our car, we're going to shut it down again early and just focus on what we know about this concept and use our limited wind tunnel time to try and make the 24 car as good it's i know f1 is like a sport of a diminishing returns the field inevitably will always catch up because there's marginal gains everywhere but i'm scared i'm scared that red bull i think there is a i think there is a genuine chance red bull could run the table i think there'll be like one or two shenanigans races maybe somebody hits a red bull or off a start line or there's a mechanical failure of some kind that could open the door for the field you tend to get one or two of those a year in f1 most of the time i'm scared they're gonna run the table i mean i mean what do you reckon hannah um because i'm i'm worried they're gonna get at least 1920 easy here yeah, I remember in a, a previous podcast we where we did guess the amount of Red Bull wins. And I guessed uh, about 11 or 12 fighting the Mercedes, which I'm now looking back thinking that's absolutely not going to happen. And I'm definitely going to raise that 11 or 12 to a 15 or 16 at least. 
Um, but I, I don't know if they could win every single race. I mean, like you just said, Dre, it's unlikely that we're going to see no yellow flags, no red flags, no crashes, no incidents, no um, breakdowns. So I feel like it's bound to happen that we see a different winner that's not Perez or Verstappen, even if it's just a Charles Leclerc, which isn't a crazy win. Um, I still don't think that, you know, Red Bull could win every single race, but it's possible. It's possible. Mm. Um, and they're definitely dominant. They will, well, I say will, they probably will win the most races. It's just where that second place team comes in behind that. Mm. Well, it's not all doom and gloom because uh, I reckon <laughs> I reckon Fernando Alonso is going to get one win at least this season. Yes. Something's going to go terribly wrong for Red Bull. He's <laughs> going to pounce, and it's going to be a Fernando Alonso return after I don't know, nearly what twenty thirteen last win, I think. So nearly yeah. a decade. So... Spanish Grand Prix twenty thirteen was his last Ooh, win. So yeah. a good decade we're looking at here. <laughs> Ooh, well, that will be even sweeter then. Uh, we had a question though from Discord. Um, Pierogi, I hope I've said that right, has asked. Uh, who has the stronger setup comparatively? Red Bull in the battle of the big three. Bold being big three. It's really just them, isn't it? Or Aston <laughs> Martin for the battle of best of the rest. It's it's interesting. I mean, it, it depends on where you draw your battle lines here. As, as yeah, how I, I would say it. Aston Martin are a bit higher than best of the rest. Right. Like, like, like if this race was a good indication, I mean, Bahrain is a little bit of an outlier. We race at night. It's a little bit colder than most races. You know, we could see once I think once we get to Baku and the more European rounds, we'll have a much better idea of where the field is at. But if you look at it right now, if you were if you were going by a tier list of what these teams were, Red Bull's two tiers above the rest of the field right now, which probably describes where they're at by comparison to Merckx and Ferrari, who might have actually regressed a bit compared to where they were last year, especially given that Aston Martin seemingly have crept up and punched him in the nose, essentially, um, given how this first race went. Um mm, <sighs> Aston Martin's also kind of in no man's land. If, you, if we're going to compare them directly to the teams we would associate with the midfield last year, so maybe Alpine, McLaren, maybe a bit of Alfa Romeo. Um, I would say Red Bull's probably stronger right now because nobody else was EU. Like if you, if you go by just the big three that we associate with Red Bull, Mercs, and Ferrari, Lewis Hamilton was 50 seconds back in fifth place compared to the win and you know Carlos Sainz was a, little, a few seconds in front of him that that's half a lap that that's a problem <laughs> that's a big problem um and like I said I think Red Bull were holding back in that race so I would probably say Red Bull I mean I don't know how you feel about it Hannah but that's kind of where I'm at <laughs> yeah I do agree with you it's really difficult to kind of place the Aston Martins in the midfield because when you think of Aston Martin's race yesterday and then you also think of McLaren Alpine Alfa Romeo Haas even that you could consider in the midfield they just seemed way way above of those other teams so I feel like I don't really class them in a battle at the moment but it is race one and we don't know how um, things will develop over the next few races and for the rest of the season but I think Aston Martin compared to those teams there is a gap there um, but when we think of Red Bull against Ferrari and Mercedes I feel like there's more of a gap there than there is between Aston and the midfield maybe we'll see a three-way battle for second in the constructors with um, Aston, Mercedes and Ferrari instead of a battle for first or a two-way battle for second, um, which I'll be interested to see. But I'm, yeah, I don't know whether Aston will kind of 
as time goes on, start to move down into that midfield more or whether they'll move up into fighting more with the Ferraris and the Mercedes. But right now I feel like Red Bull in terms of the the big three are way ahead compared to Aston in the midfield. Mm. I think that's fair. Mm. Totally. It almost feels like, oh, well, after Bahrain, could all change come Saudi. But at the moment, it does seem like it's Red Bull, big old gap, <laughs> yeah. Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari. Have they really fallen back? Let's talk about Ferrari because, oh, it was all looking so good for Charles Leclerc. You know, he, he <laughs> yeah. was, he'd outperformed Carlos Sainz throughout the weekend. He looked like he had been struggling. It looked like Leclerc was certainly on for a podium. And then lap 40 comes along and it all goes uh, to pot, doesn't it? Even after uh, replacing a, an energy store and electronics before the start of the race, he you know felt reasonably confident in qualifying as well because he didn't do a second run in Q3. He was out of the car, ready to put his feet up and, and look towards the race. So, Dre, Ferrari, are they in a, a worse off position or can we put this down to a bit of Bahrain track specifics car? Well, then you talk about the reliability of the car and I, and I don't know anymore. <laughs> Ugh, like I, I may or may not have joked um with my friends that uh, I tweaked the Max Verstappen theme song with the and just changed the word Max for the word Haunts to describe Ferrari and you know Haunts 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 Super Haunts etc. Um, it's it's it just felt like a very stereotypical Ferrari weekend and it's it's a shame because. I said going into this season, the best thing Ferrari could do right now is just keep it quiet, keep your noses clean, and just build up with what Fred Vass is bringing to the table. They had, obviously, Matteo Bonotto was gone. That was probably the biggest, one of the biggest stories of the offseason last year was that they moved on from Bonotto. He got the full football manager vote of confidence before inevitably sacking him just before Christmas, um, as you do. Um, and... You know, I like Fred Vassar. I think he's a great team boss. I think he's a very down-to-earth guy. And I was just sitting there thinking, just keep it quiet. Just just keep it clean. And just don't give them any easy headlines to get out of Bahrain. And if you're second best in your third and fourth, or, four, or third and fifth, presumably, if you, know, if you just slot Charles back in there hypothetically, that's not a terrible weekend. Um, but unfortunately, they've probably stolen the headlines now as team that's underperformed again because as you said harry they were already replacing bits of leclerc's power unit before a single wheel was turned in anger they've had to start using their second energy store and electronics which for those who don't know you only get two of those for the whole season so if they can't reuse those first bits then they will almost definitely be taking penalties probably before the summer break um which is only going to just hold them back further it's just going to keep stacking up against them chasing that that mechanical tail essentially i think they're fast in a, in over a lap still i think ferrari's been good at that for the last couple of years they had double digit pole positions last season but race trim wise long way back Charles wasn't too bad, but he was beaten by Perez, which is not ideal because Charles beat him last season over the whole year. And their tire wear wasn't particularly great either. Again, like Red Bull was blowing past him on used softs when Leclerc was on a fresh pair of mediums. I mean, so again, hard tire, I should say. Sorry. I keep I keep getting yellow and white mixed up today. I don't I don't quite <laughs> know why. But um <laughs> so for the given that 
at least for the first half of last season, Ferrari was was able to stay with Red Bull and beat them a few times. This time they got thoroughly smacked. There's there's no getting around it. So uh, I, I I fear that Ferrari have taken a step back in the grand scheme of things here. Yeah, I suppose the one bit of solace they can take, Hannah, from this is that they're not the only ones that have sort of been left for dust in Red Bull's wake. And everybody is a bit surprised at just how much Aston Martin have jumped up the field. They've got a new head strategist now. They've made a change on the pit wall. And obviously Fred Vasseur over the winter was the big change at the top. But realistically, I mean, how much do you think he can really make an impact in this first half of the season, at least? Do you reckon Ferrari will at least give Vasseur a year, even if it turns out that they are indeed a worse place than they were under Bonotto last year? Yeah, I mean, I think they would. I think also it's, it's a really hard place to be in as someone new coming into the team, especially if you're not performing as well as they did last year, because you look at the results on paper and you kind of think, well, they're not as good as last year. You know, people might just assume that's because of the person or the team principal or whoever it is, the drivers. Um, and if you do go back to Bahrain last year, I mean... Charles Leclerc was fighting Max Verstappen. It was a really close battle and a really exciting race. And if you compare it to this year, it's just completely the opposite. The, uh, the Verstappens, the Red Bulls, sorry, are just way hey, ahead of Verstappen. everyone else. It does feel a little bit. It does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, comparatively, it's just not the same. And so I feel like it's not a fair test to judge Vassar just yet. Um, but I do hope they don't give him just a year and then boot him because it doesn't seem like Ferrari are... Um, are right there on pace. And so I feel like it's not, you know, it, it's difficult to judge right now, isn't it? It certainly is. We can get, we have so much to say, don't we? And there's only been one race and this is the longest ever season in Formula <laughs> One history. 22 to go. It would have been 23 if we still had China. Can you believe that? So uh, it's going to be a long old season. We've still got a few more teams to cover, but we've all got to make money somehow, haven't we, Dre? So here's mm. the ads. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beard products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary Beard Hedger Pro Kit. This, plus their next-level ear and nose hair trimmer, confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is an elite beard trimmer. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care, including Manscaped's Beard Shampoo and Conditioner, Beard Oil, and Beard Balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. And then there's the brand new Weed Whacker 2.0, which offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with a no-tugging guarantee. And the good news is that you can get the new Weed Whacker as part of Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which comes with all the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTF1 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code WTF1. Always use the right tools of the job with Manscaped.
Well, we sort of covered off the, I say top teams, it's Red Bull. And then, as I said, then there's a big old gap. Um, that gap is now, well, just ahead of an Aston Martin, a Ferrari, and we think Mercedes, who are not happy at all. They are all very upset. Toto Wolf is not looking forward to the updates that they were going to bring in Baku because that's only a couple of tenths and they need seconds. Are they going to go to a plan B? Uh, We've got a question from Discord to kick things off after Hamilton finished 50 seconds off the win and fifth and seventh uh, with Russell. Uh, Sazzy BM has asked, do we think Mercedes will be able to catch up with the front of the field uh, by after the summer break? I mean, if you believe what Toto was saying after the race, probably not. Um, The one that got me was his comments after qualifying. I mean, I think they were about six temps off. The Red Bulls in qualifying, they qualified sixth and seventh, I want to say it was. And um, I remember Toto specifically saying, even with if we develop this, I don't think this concept is ever going to be fully competitive, was the words that jumped off the page. Because I, I had to write about that for WTF1's website. And I was like, damn. In other words, this car is basically a write-off is what Toto essentially said. He feels like they can't win with this car. And he talked a lot about having to be dogmatic um, with the engineers and basically say, well, how do we resolve this with a whole new concept? I mean, much has been made of the skinny side pods and the complicated flaws that the Mercs have had. And it looks like they're about to throw in the towel on this concept because... We evaluate Mercedes in the context of major championships. They they've they've come off the back of quite possibly the most sustained period of dominance this sport's ever seen. Eight straight constructors' titles from fourteen to twenty one. Um, seven of those were drivers' titles for Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg as well. Um, so for them to have this new regulation change last year and go from being the 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 best team or debatable best team of Red Bull towards the end of that run to being outright third last year, maybe even fourth this year now, um, given that I'd say Sainz and Hamilton were pretty evenly matched in this race. And, you know, Russell ended up behind Lance Stroll, an injured Lance Stroll, who maybe shouldn't have even been in this race. Um Fifth and seventh is not how we look at Mercedes in the modern era of F1. Um, they're going to need a big, big development. They're, I think they're, they're going to have to just start over for next year and and with an entirely new car and see what that brings them. Because if you believe what Toto was saying and he called it one of his worst days in racing, I mean, that, that that's Christian Horner levels of melodramatic as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, th- I think he's had some worse days than fifth and seventh somehow. But, you know, maybe just the realisation that, no, we are way more behind Red Bull than we thought we were seeing it in real time. Maybe that's what's caused him to jump up and take stock of it because... It, it doesn't look good for them at the moment. Not at all. Yeah, it's funny though, Hannah, isn't it? How this is this is just typical Formula One because it's history repeating itself, really. After Red Bull dominance, 2014 <laughs> comes about, they fade to below Ferrari to begin with, you know, and suddenly they're squabbling in at the top end of the midfield at the back end of the top three. And now Mercedes are feeling that grunt after such a, a as, as Dre said, a sustained period of dominance. I, 
And obviously the fans are going to be a bit uh, annoyed at that, particularly the Mercedes Hamilton, the Russell fans. But I think for Formula One, you know, this fight for second could be really exciting. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, like for Mercedes fans, this is obviously not great news, but for nah, Rebel fans, they must be loving it though. Um, and I feel like, like you said, even though Rebel seems so dominant, the fight for second, I mean, last year, I feel like the fight for the driver's second place was really interesting. And, you know, the fight for fourth constructors was really interesting. And if you focus on those kind of things, if you're not a Rebel fan, you can kind of still love each race and love um, the battles that you're seeing. And it does happen like this. You know, Mercedes have just ended, you know, a long streak of dominance. It seems like Rebel, are, well, they're well and truly in theirs now. And I don't see Mercedes by the end of the season fighting with those top teams, but I don't think, oh, sorry, not top teams, but just Red Bull. But I don't think any of the teams really do at this point. And I suppose it all depends for Mercedes about how the teams around Mercedes develop as the year goes on as well. I feel like everyone's kind of on the back foot. It feels like a little bit apart from Aston Martin, of course. Um, But yeah, I suppose we'll just see as the season goes on. But like you said, the battle for second could be really exciting. Well, these battles always have been, though. You look, pick yeah. any year in F1 and there's, you know, usually an outright winner. But you look at the battle for fourth. I always remember the battle for sixth in the constructors used to be quite exciting. Too, <laughs> you know, like a, a Force India and a Sauber battle. Who was going to get that? And that always went down to the final race. If only we could get, you know, a 2012 season where you had uh, seven different winners in the first seven races. You know, that almost seems unheard of these days. But, Amazing. oh, my God, it was, as far as I'm concerned, the best season ever. And if you've not watched it, go back. You'll absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, last time, Williams were on the top step of podium as well. Uh, we'll come on to Williams a little bit because they managed to get a point for their uh, hard work. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for McLaren, Dre, can it? Because they have got a lot of work to do but then again we said the same thing last year Norris uh couldn't get out of the pit lane it seemed he loved it so much six times during his what turned out to be a testing session really after being out and out and uh, constantly having to uh, do something with the air pressure I don't know what quite it was but um he had to come in so many times and Piastri unfortunately waited so long to get back racing and he was out pretty early doors uh, with an electrical failure yeah I don't think any team looked worse coming off this weekend than McLaren. I think and I don't mean, Claire, me- Claire has asked on Discord, is there any hope? You know, Bahrain mm. was just depressing. Yeah, I, I joked about it on the wrap-up we had yesterday that Charlie, who was a big McLaren fan, was dressed like it was a funeral. And um, it, it felt that way a little bit, um, <laughs> reviewing McLaren. I mean, look, 
they've been down on themselves since they launched the car. That was one of the things that jumped off the page to me. Zach Brown and Andrea Stella, the team principal, and obviously Zach Brown being CEO, they openly admitted during testing that they had missed their key development targets. Um, they were quite down on their odds. They were already talking up a big upgrade for Baku at the end of April. Um so they were already thinking about the future. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Harry. I mean, it was pretty, they were pretty down this time last year as well because they had breaking issues to start the year. And then again, by the time they got to Imola, Norris was on the podium. Um, and that's that's kind of where they peaked last year. Um, so I, I don't know how much that Baku upgrade is going to make a big difference. If 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 there is something, Claire, if you, I know you, I know you're watching and listening on. If there is one bit of optimism, I would give you, it's that they they did get better as the year went on last season. Um, and Norris is a world class driver, in my humble opinion. I think he's one of the four or five best drivers in F1 comfortably it wouldn't take much to fix this and i think when the car was actually working it was around the williams sort of range so like maybe lower end of the points it's not dreadful i think for outright pace but none of that matters if your car's not working what makes it such a tough pill to swallow though right is that they were on the rise up you know until the regulation changed mclaren were back they were scrapping with the big guns and then it's almost like they're just sorry mate you're a bit too far up the order now back to last (laughs) have another go yeah i I don't know how much of it is a car problem how much of it's a development problem how much of it might be the power units because i mean zach brown's had three different power unit suppliers well now he's talking to red bull isn't he Uh, now (laughs) now he's now he's uh cuddling up with uh christian horn and a man he couldn't wait to throw under the bus for the cost cap at the end of last season it's like so christian i hear you've got these new power units and ford coming um you know uh that's formula one for you isn't it you know this is this is a grid where four of the 10 teams are on mercedes power and none of them are winning right now except you know daston martin's the the bright spot but none of them are winning at the moment and you might have to do something different to go up the field a little bit i know they've got a wind tunnel upgrade that's due later this year that's something to hang on to for a bit of hope the facilities is something that i think woking's been wanting to work on for a little while now so i think that would be a big step in the right direction for them to get up to par with some of the bigger teams again You've got a world-class driver. You've got a prodigy of a of a junior talent in Piastri, which you went out of your way to go get. You know, I think your drivers are great. Are great. Um, I think you've got you've got facilities and you've got money, and you've got the people around you to make this work. Um, hopefully, this was just the flash in the pan and uh, as a bad day at the office and nothing more. But the fact they were talking about the Baku upgrade a lot in preseason and then talking about the wind tunnel needing to be built sometime this year. It feels a lot to me like McLaren are going to be clawing up the mountain again for whatever they can get more than Mm. what they were last year, which was challenging Alpine for fourth. All the things Drea said there, Hannah, are all promises they've made to Lando, right? They've locked him into this long old contract. If I'm Norris, I'm thinking what the hell another year at the back and maybe or another year at least with a fight to the front i can't fight for podiums outright anymore 
if I'm Norris, I'm calling up my old boss, Andreas Seidel, and being like, what's the sitch with Audi? Can I come? You know, get me out of this ASAP. What does Lando Norris do? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so difficult because, I mean, like you said, if I was Norris, I would be wanting out right now. And well, like, like that background sound a minute ago. <laughs> <you> yes. <laughs> yeah. And also, Norris has experienced those podiums. He's been fighting for, you know, P4 and the constructors. They got P3 a few years ago. He knows what it's like to be near the front and now that he's not he's absolutely going to be missing that and wanting way more than being p14 p15 just right at the back of the grid and yeah i would absolutely he he just is a fantastic driver and i feel, feel like he needs to be in a better seat than mclaren a few years ago you know there was lots of hope around where mclaren could be at this you know in 2023 or 2022 it hasn't worked out like that so if I was him, I would definitely be wanting to move on and as soon as possible. I suppose for McLaren fans, though, another positive where we're trying to pluck positives here, but I suppose... <laughs> we're working for, real hard here, by the way. Yeah. For Piastri, he, I think he's a great driver. And I think now that... I mean, this race was disappointing for him, obviously, and he's going to want to prove himself so much. But... If he's in a, a team that's not fighting right at the top, he has a chance to prove himself in the midfield and there's slightly less press pressure coming from that. And so we might see him shine and we might see him outperform the McLaren just like Lando did. But then if both drivers are outperforming the car, we won't think it's the drivers, we'll just think the car's getting better. So. That's the yeah. thing, isn't it? But Dre, the team that Oscar Piastri uh, had an offer from but didn't want it, Alpine, and uh, as you know, that was all made a big public thing. The tweets still doing the rounds every now and then. Piastri's <laughs> made his bed. Uh, but if we look at the other side of the fence and Alpine, they were the bit of the anomaly coming into this weekend, right? They all seemed so bullish and confident after testing, and everyone sort of put them in the middle because they didn't really know where else to put them. They didn't seem like the worst team or the best, but they were all smiles. In the end, for Esteban Ocon, it was a race of penalties, as is pretty well documented from operational failures to speeding in the pit lane, right? Gasly, though, amazing drive, which I think went a little bit under the radar, actually, because he came right from the bat, last place, awful way to start your Alpine F1 career, managed to scrap two points at the very end. Good start for the Frenchman. I think he'll take that in the grand scheme of things, especially given he started from the back. I actually got a great tweet about this yesterday saying, well, Dre, who do you who do you think was driver of the day? And look, Alonso was never losing a popularity contest on this <laughs> one after that performance. I think it was I think it was 53% of the vote was Alonso. You, you're not stopping him there. I literally said my response on Twitter was, my, my heart says Fernando, you know, Magic Alonso, etc. Get your jokes in, you know, brilliant podium drive and all of that. My head said Pierre Gasly, who I think went completely under the radar and went from 20th to 9th on the day and would have had the fastest lap bonus if it wasn't for some very shady and clever <laughs> management from Alfa Romeo that, that put Joe in an extra time. Just love take, the pettiness of it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, just just take, take a point off Gasly for not getting the fastest lap bonus by boxing Joe in extra time and telling him to, to basically run a hot lap. And, you know, I think with the way that the big three might be a big four now with Aston Martin in that mix... Points in the midfield are going to be even scarcer to come by. So little tricks like that as a tangent are actually, you know, quite handy in that case. Um, 
Smart, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think I get it. Gasly was excellent for what it's worth. I think you know, first time in that car, first time in race trim, and to echo what you're saying, Harry, I completely agree. I think Alpine were like a, a team where I think everybody was struggling where to put them. They didn't do any real big qualifying um, runs in in testing, so they didn't get one of these really banzai laps up the board like joe did on day two when he was fastest and then they also said they were going to upgrade most of the car going into bahrain they did um they replaced almost everything that we saw in testing so again it was really hard to get a read on where they were going to end up um and then gasly flunked qualifying which didn't help either um but no, that was an excellent comeback. Got it into the points in ninth on debut. That's a really solid drive. Two very well-earned points. Um, and if they're going to end up in the midfield, again, points are going to be scarce if these if if the four teams that we've seen at the front of the field are going to be with Red Bull looking out the front too. And then it could be a bar fight between Ferrari, Mercs, and Aston Martin. And that's going to be that could be for positions three through eight uh, yeah. on, on, on paper. So I think there's going to be a big drop off on points in the midfield compared to last year. So two points is more valuable than I think people will take credit for with Alpine given the lay of the land at the moment. Totally. And well, Hannah, do you think then Alpine are kind of one of the big losers really? Cause they, you know, their, their launch at the preseason was so big and extravagant and they were like, you know, P4, we got to get close to the top three next, uh, this year. Well now really, and although they haven't, taken a, a horrible step down it's really everybody else around them that they were fighting has taken a big step up so it looks like they're kind of finding themselves fighting as dre said at the lower end of the points with the likes of alfa romeo maybe a has too so it's very smart thinking of alfa romeo to go actually let's set the fastest lap and get a point back because we don't want to be level on points again coming into the last race yes they were definitely thinking ahead weren't they it was great and yeah with Alpine, they, like you said, they were so excited and they had just come off an amazing 2022 season. And I think all of us kind of expected them to be at that point again or be quicker um, or be fighting for third even with the Mercedes. So I think we're all a little bit surprised and it, it's really hard to see where exactly the Alpine are because Gasly, Gasly and Ocon are like magnets from the same side. Like they just don't, they're never together. They're, I mean, in qualifying, Gasly was at P20 and Ocon was P9 and they just completely swapped with Ocon. You know, he didn't finish and then Gasly P9. So because they're not close together, it's really hard to tell what exactly where Alpine are. But from looking at practice and testing and, you know, qualifying, it just doesn't seem like they're definitely not where the Aston Martins are or the Mercedes are, not where they were last year. And it's it's disappointing to see, but it's it's just very unexpected as well i think from what we can take from this though is that midfield scrap which encompasses quite a lot of the field in fact i actually don't think there is a back end of the field now i think it is all just a big scrap (laughs) probably from mercedes downwards you've got you've got that big Mm. gap you've got the the three ferrari mercedes aston and then you've got everybody else and it's Mm going to be a battle of fine margins and we're going to cover a few more uh good results and standouts uh in the last part of the show uh but first we've got more money to make dre Yes, sir. Um, Yeah, our next partner is Athletic Greens. We all know Formula One drivers are great athletes, and great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. 
Now, I appreciate the majority of us can't claim to be world-class athletes, me in particular, but that doesn't mean we can't look after ourselves like we are. That's why I gave AG1 by Athletic Greens a try, because I wanted to support my immune system and sustain my energy levels. I take AG1 in the morning and it makes me feel ready to take on the day. It's just one small scoop of AG1 in a glass of water. It's that easy to cover your nutritional basis. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash WTF1. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash WTF1. Check it out. Let's take a look then at the rest of the field and some of the standouts. Hannah Williams, let's start with them. Uh, they're not as bad as their own driver thought they would be. Alex Albon said they were going to be slow. They were going to be rock bottom. He stole P10 just in front of Yuki Tsunoda. And Logan Sargent on debut did not look out of his depth whatsoever. 10th and 12th, I think, is something Williams were very happy to take at race one. Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting because unlike the Alpines, the Williams finish, you know, quite close together, which gives us a good idea about where Williams are as a team. And Sergeant, I really underestimated him. I thought that Alex would run away with it. And I know it's only race one, but he seems to be, you know, quite close to Alex. And they seem to be, you know, at a similar pace qualifying in the race. So I'm I'm really impressed with that. And Williams is so confusing to me right now because in testing, I thought they were looking quite strong. Then for practices, they were looking right at the back. And now it seems like they're definitely at least in the midfield. Uh, what, on, Dre, what, what, what? R- remind the audience <laughs> what you said in the podcast after testing as to where you had Williams in the field. Go on. So, on. yeah, I will. I'll tell him. I said after testing, my prediction was Williams, P5 and the constructors. You guys... <laughs> absolutely you know hated me for that which is fine you know that's fine it was a bit of a crazy moment I have to say um then in practice I kind of I did go back on that I did backtrack I'll admit um but you know what who knows I feel like there isn't a worse team at the moment the worst teams are Haas Williams Alpha Tauri just all of them in one but you can't really pinpoint one so maybe fifth isn't as crazy as you think I'll give you this, Hannah. Your your wild prediction might not be as egregious as I first thought it was off the back of that race. Um, like I distinctively remember Albon saying after testing, their goal was be like we're going to be last, but maybe not a bad last. I.e., maybe like a competitive um, bottom of the field runner. Points on debut. I mean, a point on debut is excellent for that new car. Let's not forget brand new team principal with James Vowles. Only been there for a couple of weeks after his non-complete, non-compete clause with Mercedes ran out. They're still recalibrating their technical side of the team. They blew all that up in the offseason. So this is a team with a lot of patchwork to fill in. And like, I thought they'd still be down the bottom of the field. So to have them maybe fifth or sixth on par at the moment... Is a pretty is a pretty big improvement given where they were last year, where they were stone dead last. So, if they could be competitive amongst the bottom end of the field, that could still get them like 20, 30 points on the year, and that would be a big improvement on last year, um, where I think they had what was it six or something or eight or something like that. So, yeah, that would be a big turnaround to get a point on debut is a very good sign. 
some wholesome listening for you if you haven't done so yet is Alex Albon's team radio when he came over the line and finished P10 in a, in a quite a heated battle by the sounds of it with Yuki Zanoda uh, <laughs> just outside uh, but the Williams straight line speed I think coming in handy for them um we spoke about them a little bit earlier Alfa Romeo doing some sneaky tactics with uh, the fastest lap point with Zhou Guan Yu a uh, bit of a race to forget for Zhou unfortunately he mm. lost it all at the start bad wheel spin and never quite got on top of the tires by the sounds of it so he was the sacrificial lamb at the end of the race but Hannah Bottas up in eighth silent drive for him but once again he's banking the points early doors yeah Alfa Romeo are really interesting for me because they kind of went under the radar this season as a whole so far in testing, in practice sessions, qualifying, everything. I feel like nothing was really spoken about. And then you just look at the end of the race and you see Bottas P8. And it to me, it was such a surprise because um, apart from Joe's fastest lap, I didn't really hear anything from Alfa Romeo. But I think at the start of the season, people kind of thought that they would be definitely at the lower end of the grid. And I think they are definitely included in that sort of everyone at the back kind the of situation. Gaggle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually, you know, to be in the points, I think is is impressive. And it's not something I expected or saw until <laughs> the checkered flag had been waved. Yeah, Trey, what do you reckon? Um, I think they're still a very difficult team to place. I mean, like you said, I think the whole midfield is a bit of a gaggle at the moment. They've all had their ups and downsides as the weekend went on. I mean, we forget that like Haas, for example, Hulkenberg made Q3 and qualified him. It looked like he could be on for a top six at one point and just in terms of raw outright pace. Um, Bottas was one of the quietest guys in the field, but just plodded on. He did, he did what he did this time last year. Just take a car that's good and just have a good quiet day and bring home the maximum it can give you. And it looks like in this case, it was eighth. That was probably the real best of the rest, given that the four teams in front of them were all probably in much stronger machinery on paper. So for Bottas to finish eighth, best of the rest ahead of um, you know, the Alpha Tauris of Sonoda and obviously the Williams of Albon and Sargent. And they uh, that hectic midfield held off Gasly at the end as well in that fight for eighth. It was a, it was a close run thing. Um, and again, good gamesmanship from Alpha Romeo. For those guys who don't know, if you're not in the top 10 with the fastest lap, nobody gets the fastest lap bonus <laughs> point. So Alpha had this great idea of, well, if I'm not getting the fastest lap, no one is, um, basically. <laughs> so that, I thought that was, again, with points being at a premium down that side of the field, even taking one off somebody else and sacrificing a car is a clever move. And yeah, a well-executed race from Alfa Romeo. They probably would have wanted Joe in the points as well because he was in the mix there with with Williams and Alfa Tauri in that fight for the final point at, at certain parts of that race. I still think they're hard to place. At the moment, I mean, again, that second half of the field is going to be a bar fight. And I look forward to seeing how that turns out, because I don't think we're any clearer to knowing maybe who's in that sixth spot in the power rankings. I think Alpine are probably fifth. I don't know where Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri and Williams are going to shake out in the grand scheme of things. And that's fun. Well, let's not forget Haas too. You know, they they weren't as promising perhaps as, as they were this time last year, but they both left 
fairly confident. Kevin Magnussen managed to get up to, to P13 and they admitted they went on the wrong strategy. Uh, so, you know, Magnussen and Hulkenberg, I expect, will also be in that fight. They're two very savvy, well-established racers. I think they're, they're a good fit for that team. Um, but look, we're slowly coming towards the end of the show. We've got a couple more questions uh, coming from Discord. Uh, Ham Gammon, Ham Gammon yep. has asked, uh, do we think that teams are giving up before seasons are even starting due to the cost cap? Oh, I think I might take this one. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, Go on, Dre. The, 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 the short answer, I think, on this one is not really. Um, the good news is that all the press I've read regarding team bosses and whatnot is that I think just about everybody is going to be able to spend to the full amount of the cap. I, I know Alfa Romeo said they would be able to, with a little bit of help from their new Audi-based overlords. Um, and I know Haas made a big deal of saying, yeah, we, we got the full cost cap available. We're going to be able to spend the 135 mil um, on development this year with some extra help from shaved down pit boxes. You may have seen that during testing the, uh, the baby booth, I like to call it of only mm-hmm. having three of having only having like three people be there instead of the usual seven or eight or what have you. So I know has, for example, pretty much like for example, I think in 2020 when they first had the, the Schumacher Mazepin combination, they pretty much tanked a full year to go all in on development for the, a new set of regulations. Um, so I don't think that'll be happening every season per se, but teams can always choose when to end development on their car. And most of them go early. The earlier you can afford to go is probably the better in that regard. Um, I don't think it's going to be a case where it's an entire season, Unless it's 2025, because that's when the next that's the year before the next big regulations hit in 2026 with their new power units. So maybe a a lower end performing team would do that, especially because there's a bit of an incentive now to do that because you get more aero time if you sink below seventh. So the bottom three gets more than the usual budget. So that's, I I don't think it's going to be like American sports, like in the NBA where guys are going to start tanking for a good draft pick. Um, If if, if those might be NBA fans or NFL fans, the whole idea of tanking detests me (laughs) when it comes to competitive sports, but I don't think it'll ever get to that point, but there is, I think something to that, a smidge you could say. Yeah, well, we've seen it in the part with recent past, you know, Haas sort of sacrificing their their budgets and their their two, three years, was it in the end? Two years where they just had a mm. shocking car in the hopes that then when the regulations changed, they would be right on the ball, which kind of was the case, really. So I suppose we won't maybe won't quite see that kind of thing until we get to, as you say, the next sort of big change with, with these new PU things coming in. Um, last but not least, shall we end with something that wasn't quite on track mm. news um and Hannah, i'll come to you on this first and andre uh it's the jewelry debate again from the fia it's ridiculous <laughs> it is a bit ridiculous isn't it unless so so if you missed it they're they're going on about hamilton's uh it's his nose ring isn't it like a little nose stud again isn't it yeah yeah, he, yeah he added another one in the off season he's got one right. on either side now <laughs> okay and, and obviously the fia don't like apparently any driver wearing jewelry and it, it, while racing and and i could understand if he was wearing a massive chain or something like that, but then again, he's not going to do that. Is he? He's going to add weight to the car. So <laughs> a, a two tiny, what no studs is not going to make a difference. What it's, it's a stupid thing that I think just need has to have a line drawn under it. Hannah, don't you think? Yeah. Part of me is sort of thinking, well, 
the rules are there for a reason. It's not a new rule that's been brought in. Just follow it. But at the same time, Hamilton, <laughs> he knows the risks. He's aware of, you know, what's going on. He's old enough to make his own decisions. A little nose stud, is it really going to affect him that much? Or is it really going to be that much of a risk safety-wise for them to really actually tell him, actually, no, you can't, you can't wear that. It, it, I'm really in both sides with this because part of me is like, well, just follow the rules. At the same time, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, I just think it's ridiculous, this whole thing. I mean, what do you think, Dre? I'm on the fence, and I I, I yeah. hate I, I hate being on the fence on this one. And look, I get both both sides of this argument have valid points. First and foremost, I am a firm believer in freedom of expression, and Hamilton should have the right to be able to do to his body whatever he likes, and that includes piercings, um, and what have you. Um, look, most professional sports they will tell you to remove that stuff for safety reasons i get it you know you can snag it on something don't ever google what a degloving incident is if if you've especially if you've just had your lunch they can happen <laughs> i'm not disputing that they can't happen they can and if you're the fia as a governing body and an, if an injury is exaggerated because of jewelry the driver's not getting it in the neck the drivers we tend to give the benefit of the doubt in these scenarios and the fia is ultimately accountable for it and we're all going to get on our twitter keyboards and going to tell them well why did you let a guy wear a chain around his neck before this incident happened and they're going to have to answer to that so i can also get their side of the legal conversation as a governing body to say well hang on a minute we've got to look out for these guys we've got to save them from themselves a little bit however i would also say there's a i think there's a very easy solution to this just have hamilton sign a waiver just say, I, Lewis Hamilton, am okay with wearing this jewellery in the car and the FIA can take zero accountability for mm. anything that happens to me inside the cockpit. Well, I, I think he has gotten away with it, hasn't he? Because I think they just said it's a hygiene. He, he said it's a hygiene issue uh, if I keep taking it uh, out and putting it back in again repeatedly. Uh, so that's I think that's the agreement they've kind of come to with the FIA. That's the exemption to the rule. Yeah, a medical exemption, basically. Yeah, yeah. because it, it, yeah, if you anyone that has a piercing will, will be able to tell you this. I do, you know, right here. Um, I know, I've been there, know the feeling that um, if you keep taking it in and out, it can get infected. You increase the risk of it getting infected. And I think he actually did have a nose infection with that at Singapore last year where he got his first medical exemption, but because he had, he had to get another one because he added another stud to the other side of his nose. Um, I wish this wasn't a story. And I think a, a part of this is because it's a Hamilton story. We don't talk about the 250 grand wristwatch on Charles Leclerc's wrists. Uh, he, he sits in in every press conference. I think it's, it's, it's because he's the biggest name in the sport. I think that's a big reason as to why this comes up. Um, I think, the best of both worlds is just have Hamilton sign a waiver that he's ultimately responsible for what he what he wears in the car and whatnot. And the FIA can say, well, we made him sign a waiver. He's cool with it. So yeah, yeah. you can't you can't say anything about us on this one. Um, I think it's a bigger story than it needs to be a lot of the time, unfortunately. But we, we get pedantic about these sorts of things. And a lot of I think a lot of fan culture at the moment is like fans versus the FIA. And I think it's very easy to make them the bad guys in every scenario when I think it's a little bit more complicated than that sometimes. But 
I, I think just just have Hamilton sign a waiver and say, you know, I'm 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 responsible for what I wear in the car, and have that be the end of it, and that could be the end of the discussion. Quite frankly, yeah. Well, let's hope that it, I don't want to talk about it anymore for the rest of the year. I think let's Me leave either. that there. That's <laughs> done. That we're ending with that. I mean, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Obviously, uh, wherever you're watching this or listening this, WTF1 comments, uh, social media, let us know your thoughts on that and anything else we talked about. What are you looking forward? Uh, to seeing throughout the rest of the season what do you want to see from saudi arabia a couple of weeks uh to go until we get round two underway and we all know what that jetta track is like it is tight and i'm sure with this big gaggle that we've got basically fighting from the midfield downwards it's going to be an exciting one but will max verstappen dominate will we wait to see uh that brings us to an end of this uh the first race review podcast of the year thank you very much uh, for joining us so uh, let us know any questions you have going forward you can get in touch on the discord as well and in all the usual WTF1 ways. But uh, my thanks to Hannah Atkinson, to Dre Harrison. I've been Harry Benjamin, and we shall see you straight after Saudi Arabia. Bye-bye. See See ya. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.